On this podcast, you will hear a recording of an event we held back in August to celebrate the release of the English Trans. On this podcast, you will hear a reading performance by New York-based writer and performer J.P. Sloat of extracts from three plays from the recently published collection Loretta Auditorium Presents The Body of Loretta from Fly By Night Press. The performance contains graphic depictions and descriptions of sexual violence throughout. For a full discussion of the themes explored in the work, you can find an interview with J.P. Sloat at arcbooks.dk. Now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Um, even on small grounds, you can't get the attention. <laughs> um, my name is Nathan Holt, and I'm a member of the uh, volunteer collective that runs this space, Art Books. And we are thrilled uh, tonight to be hosting uh, J.P. Slotes, who is uh, coming here to present, um, who will be, be presenting uh, and reading from the newly published uh, collection of three plays, uh, Body of Loretta. Um, the work is a culmination of, well, it was, it, it, probably the finished around 20 years ago, but it's been ongoing through this uh, the last 30 years or so, um, exploring uh, the, the, uh, the pornography of power and arousal in the public, public realm. And Sloan's uh, own career has seen her uh, engaging with this intersection of experimental theatre and, uh, and philosophy, critical theory, um, the politics that are underneath all of our uh, desires and um, human interactions, and we're thrilled to welcome her here tonight. Thank you very much, and I'm very, very, uh, very happy to be here at Art Books. It's just a delightful, it's been a delightful experience meeting the people, and um, yeah, so thank you for coming. Okay. Um, without further ado, I'm just going to start reading. Um, we're going to have a and a afterwards, so if you have questions, I'm sure you will. Um, the book is called uh, Loretta Auditorium Presents The Body of Loretta. And I'd like to read the... Um, lines that it starts with. To be abandoned. To be nothing but an object waiting for redemption. For the soul is an erotic being and must live erotically. And that is from Eric Goodkind. Um, more about him in the book. Prologue, the offer. I also wanted to say the dedication. Uh, the book is dedicated to the trafficked people of the world. First part is called the offer, prologue, the offer. It's uh, a film sequence from Train for Capitalism, a pornographic novel. Characters, Loretta of Gdansk, a street prostitute. Monsieur Richard, a representative of the East-West Development Bank. Scene, waterfront by the shipyards, Gdansk, Poland, 1981, Martial Law. Loretta emerges from the toilet of a filthy dive at dawn. Behind her, a John is zipping up his pants. Loretta, voiceover. One whole year passed in this way. Loretta pockets cash emerges onto early morning street, head in profile, silhouetted against the sky. Seagulls above, a chilly gray day, down by the harbor. She pauses to light a cigarette. A silver lighter appears at the end of her cigarette, held by a manicured male hand, an elegant stranger. She inhales, glances up. Monsieur Richard. Loretta Kay, I presume? Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Etienne Richard, 
recruitment representative for the East-West Development Bank, my card. He passes, camera pans to a business card in an elegant font. The card says, train for capitalism, believe. Etienne Richard, vice president for recruitment, the East-West Development Bank, Paris, Hong Kong, Dubai. Camera pans to Monsieur Richard, immaculately tailored businessman, elegant French. His face betrays nothing. Monsieur Richard, would you care to walk with me away? I have an offer that I believe will be of interest to you. Loretta and Monsieur Richard from behind, walking along the waterfront, deserted but for a stray dog or cat. Monsieur Richard, I am here in Poland representing a newly formed institution created for the sole purpose of searching out new investment opportunities in Eastern Europe. My bank and the people we represent foresee certain changes in this part of the world. Camera pans to a discarded newspaper in trash with the headline, Martial Law Declared, Solidarity Outlawed, Borders Closed. Monsieur Richard, this is a very dangerous time for the people of Eastern Europe. However, we foresee beyond the current regime a period when greater freedom will come to this part of the world. In short, a new world order. The entire overinflated structure of communism is vulnerable and could collapse at any moment. We believe in being prepared for that moment and are prepared to make long-term investments in a new and brighter future. But money, capital alone, is useless without an even more important element, human capital. That is why I wish to speak to you. They stop and face each other, seen from a distance. Loretta, how do you know my name? A ship horn blasts in the distance. Gulls circle and shriek in the sky. Monsieur Richard, your name was submitted to me by the education prefecture. We are looking for young people like yourself with a good head on their shoulders and high grades in French and mathematics. Loretta laughs ironically, pulls her thin jacket tighter around her. What do you want from me, Monsieur Richard? My firm is offering to pay your passage and all other expenses to bring you to Paris, where you will begin a training program for a career with the East-West Development Bank. Loretta, what does it mean? What do I have to do? All you have to do is get on the 1015 train for Paris tonight. What it means is that you could be gone from this wretched existence forever. In the distance, explosions or shots. Loretta, I have no papers, no passport. Do not worry about papers. Everything will be prepared by my office. You need bring nothing with you. Whatever you need will be supplied in Paris. I must go now. Don't forget the 1015 train for Paris tonight. Track number seven. Just bring my card. Monsieur Richard walking away as Loretta stands holding his card. Loretta, voiceover. I spent the rest of the day walking. I kept to parts of the city I hardly knew where I would not be noticed by Wojciech and his associates. Loretta seen on city streets in traffic among crowds of people going about their daily workday lives, armed soldiers on every street corner, the mood tense, strained. She walks through the day and into the evening, the scenes and light shifting. The camera lingers at dusk. A tram stops and disgorges men and women, their faces weary and lined. People in shabby gray coats queue in weary lines outside of stores to buy meat and bread. Gray streets, gray faces, cold blue gray twilight. Loretta, 10 o'clock that evening, found me at the train station. Dark, cavernous station, people crossing in different directions, Loretta voiceover. I kept to the shadows with my heart pounding. 
Shadowy figures inhabit the shadows, black market money changers, small-time pimps and thieves. Loretta, voiceover. I had on me only what I was wearing when I left the house last night and the money in my purse from my last trick. Camera pans to huge locomotive next to a sign, track seven. Train announcer. The silver bullet to Paris will be departing in seven minutes from track number seven. Loretta voiceover. I made my move. A shadow flits out of the shadows and moves across the open platform like a negative in a photograph. A figure, a black silhouette against the harsh station lights, reaches up and climbs aboard. Loretta, voiceover. I reached up, boarded the train, and disappeared into its darkness. That was the prologue to the, the Loretta trilogy, the three plays. Okay, now I'm going to read you, I think I'm going to read you the first play. It's called God, question mark, or The Pornography of Power, a chamber piece for four actresses and a musician. Um... Synopsis. The mise-en-scene is a libertine's salon, or boudoir, to which the guests, the public, have been invited for an evening of libertine entertainment and edification. Saad's, Marquis de Saad's two libertines, Juliette and her partner in crime, the formidable Madame Durand, present two narratives for the guests' edification. Loretta of Gdansk tells of her sexual awakening and subsequent rape against the backdrop of the rise and fall of the Solidarność movement in Poland. Loretta of Paris delivers a pornographic narrative of sexual slavery in the capital West, capitalist West. Between these narrative entertainments, the Libertines discourse on the nature of freedom and free will. And Sprigani accompanies on the piano. We don't have a Sprigani. <laughs> so, I know it's difficult when you hear a play read to try to picture what it is, but I'm going to read the stage, some of the stage directions. Center stage is the pornogram, a box about the size of an old public telephone booth with walls of translucent plastic on all sides, presented on a small platform. From inside this box, Loretta of Paris speaks. Okay. So this is the first libertine... Um, Entertainment that they that is presented. Loretta of Gdansk. I agree. I remember. When my mother lay dying, she called me to her bedside. I sat there in hospital night and day those last days, laying cool towels on her forehead and holding her hand. She said to me, Loretta, my darling, what will become of you once I am gone? I reassured her, telling her she wasn't going to die, and anyway, Wojciech would take care of me. Wojciech was my older brother. She told me again the story of how she had named me. She had read a story in a book about a girl named Loretta who lived by a mountain in Italy. One day, this girl had gone to the top of the mountain, and there she had a vision. 
she saw the Virgin Mary. She went back down to the town and told everyone, but no one, not even her mother, believed her. The next day, she took her younger brother with her, and the two children went back up the mountain, and they both saw the vision. My mother told me to put my faith in the Virgin. She also told me, Loretta, no matter what happens, never forget to laugh. Laugh at them. Laugh at them all. That's what I did. Thinking about this later, I found this to be very strange because I realized I could not ever recall hearing my mother laugh. After she died, the small two-bedroom apartment that we had lived in all our lives, which had once been so cramped and crowded, now suddenly seemed spacious, empty. Suddenly there was all this room and silence. This was in 1980. This was in Poland, in Gdansk. I was 16 in school, studying French and mathematics, but we weren't in school much. Every day there were strikes, marches in the streets. Solidarity was growing. I met a boy and fell in love with him. I used to meet him at a cafe down by the dock sometimes when he got off work. We would talk about all the events of the day and the possibility of change coming. Everything would change, all the world, and we would all be born again into a new world, a new city, a new life. Then sometimes he would kiss me. He was very shy, but one day he came home with me. My brother, as I knew, was not at home. We just talked at first. He was particularly passionate that afternoon. There had been a mass rally down at the shipyard, and a speaker had aroused the crowd to a feverish pitch. There was talk of revolution. There had also been arrests. I went up to him and just stood there. He looked up at me and pulled me down into his lap. I began caressing his face, and we began kissing. I smelled the dirt and sweat from his suit, but his tongue, his kisses, tasted sweet. He opened my blouse and very lightly began to touch my breasts. I found myself for the first time terribly aroused. I wanted to make love to him. Then I heard the key turn and the lock in the door, and my brother Wojciech came in with a couple of his black market buddies. Wojciech, what the fuck is going on here? Loretta, Wojciech, it's nothing. I, I just invited Jan in. You invited him in, all right. You invited him all the way in. What the fuck are you doing with my sister? Uh, Loretta, it, it's nothing, Wojciech. Please let him go. Jan, look, I, I, it didn't mean any harm. Get out, you little solidarity creep. Get out before I throw you out the window. Jan left like a dog with his tail between his legs. Wojciech, and as for you, you slut, look at you, you little whore, you're half undressed. No sister of mine is going to hoard up for free in my home. You want some hard dick? Well, we've got plenty of it here. They grabbed me and threw me down on the kitchen table. I screamed and shouted, begged them not to, but they hit me about the face and head and twisted my arms and legs. Two of them held me down while the third one raped me. They all had their turn. My brother Wojciech went last.
Then they dragged me into my room and threw me on the floor, left me there and locked the door. I just lay there for a long time without moving, staring up at the picture of the Virgin Mary hanging over my bed. Her angelic smile, the plump pink fingers of her hands in prayer. Wojciech kept me locked in the room for five whole weeks. He brought his friends over and I had to service them and they would pay him money. I had to work for Wojciech now. I had to make money down by the docks. If I didn't come home every morning by seven, he would kill me, he told me. I believed him. I agreed. And that is how I became a whore. The Libertine's first discourse. Remember, we're in a Libertine salon. The Libertines are presenting two entertainments for the audience's pleasure. The first was Loretta of Gdansk. And now, the first Libertine's discourse. Durand. Ah, my angel. My beloved angel, I adore you. You slay me with happiness. How can I ever repay you? In kind, my dear, in kind. Durand, did you have any in the ass? Juliet, oh, certainly. How on earth would you have had me withstand so many assaults in only one sector? La cunt fuck was all I had time to do, for I did not foresee you would wish to stop so soon. Twenty-four hours is my usual stint in that house, and I do not swing round my ass to the fuckers until they have made a hash of my cunt. A hash, yes, transformed it into an open wound. Juliet, dear Durand, among libertine women, I have never encountered your superior. Ah, uh, none so well as we apprehend that tis by way of the various and ascending stages of secret excesses that Everything else is to be attained. I am a slave to those voluptuous episodes. Each day I discover that I have found some new habit as a result of them. Charming habits which turn into so many little rituals, little homage that one offers to one's physical nature and are wonderfully pleasing to one's spiritual self. Durand. What then are we better advised to do than maintain ourselves constantly in the state that pleasure demands? Second Entertainment, Part 1, Loretta of Paris. In the pornogram, you have to try to imagine that box with translucent walls or sides. Loretta of Paris, screaming. Monsieur Richard, Monsieur Dumont, come over to me, please, please, come to me, please, come to me, make me come, please, please. Feverishly, came over to me and got me going right away. The seconds started flashing, then I was feeling good. I knew you had to keep the meter running. That was the only way out. Please don't go away yet. Come back, keep me going. Monsieur Ragout, Monsieur Dupree, c'est moi. 
Oh, yeah, baby, just keep it going. Yeah, yeah, I like it like that. That's good. Help me, help me keep it going. Keep it going. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't back off. Lights out on the box. The Libertine's second discourse. Juliette. Is not woman everywhere the slave of laws? And does that not mean that she is everywhere in chains? Once enchained, is it not the desire of her oppressor, whoever she may be, to keep woman in that state where she can be most easily held captive? Now, is that state not plainly the state of immorality? Durand. What necessity is there for woman to live in society? Savage woman is subject to only two needs, the need to fuck and the need to eat. Both are implanted in her by nature. What need is there to keep crime in check? Crime is necessary to nature's correct fun functioning. Her laws expected. It is the counterweight to virtue, and it beseems human beings to undertake to repress it. Juliet. Government is but a break upon women, and the woman with a mind wants no breaks upon herself. Jerome. The woman of the primeval forest, say? Did she have laws holding her passions in check? And did she lead an existence any less happy than yours? Juliet, do you suppose that the woman who is served by crime thinks to condemn it? Why, no. If then crime makes for as much happiness in the world as unhappiness, where is the justice of the law that punishes it? Durand. The character of a good law must be to promote the welfare of all. Juliet, let us seize every opportunity to revenge ourselves for the odious constraint of man's laws by perpetrating the most signal outrages. Loretta of Paris, part two. Oh, oh, aurora. She came to me at night in the dorm where all the trainees slept. She slid between the sheets and began kissing me. Her lips were so hot that night as she tasted my tongue, then started a long, sweet slide down my body, tasting my nipples across my belly and down the shaved path to my sex, already parting open like the petals of a flower for her tongue. She murmured, mm, your pussy is so sweet. I groaned in the darkness and spread myself open wide. It seemed there were many lovers in the dark. She turned around on top of me. The sheet slid off, leaving us exposed, but we didn't care. The hot, sweet sex hovered above me. I smelled the intoxicating aroma of her, reached up and brought her cunt down to my tongue. Oh, oh, we groaned as we tasted the flesh of paradise. Libertine's third discourse, Juliet. Cheerless followers of virtue, avow your weakness, and may the everlasting superiority of crime over your souls of slime impose eternal silence upon you. Let us dine, Juliet. There are your possessions, your servants. There is your Sprigani. Be all of good cheer in this house. Become its friends. And when you have gone away from here, make it known abroad that the charms of sweet amity have their faithful even in a den of crime and depravity. Juliet indicating a man in the public. This booger here has the look of a man with something in his britches. Durand. Brother, come peep under Juliet's skirts. You'll find she is favored in a way you appreciate. Mm. 
Juliet. Oh, God, to be fucked by a highway robber, by an assassin. Let's blend f bloodshed with fuckshed. Have you no victims about? You listless and uninspired prudes, insufferable creatures who dare not even touch the member perforating you and who would blush to answer fuck with fuck when fucking. Cast your eyes this way. Come hither for some examples. Come take a few lessons from Madame Durand and learn the extent of your ineptitudes. Loretta of Paris, part three. Aurore, Aurore, Monsieur le Général, Monsieur de la Police, over here, come over here, give me a chance, try me. All the girls were abuzz with excitement. There was to be a private party, a Monte Carlo night, we were told, in the bank, by invitation only, for the bank's most respected customers and prospective new clients. I didn't know bank tellers had clothes like these. I giggled to one of the girls as we wiggled into our tight-fitting costumes. She giggled, honey, this is Paris. And anyway, you get better tips. She, like Aurore, had been with the firm a little longer and knew the ropes. I found myself blushing just while thinking about Monsieur Richard. He was sure to be there. They said he was incredibly wealthy, one of the richest men in all of France. The girl said he had taken a bit of a shine to me. He always came to my teller window to do his business, and he knew my name. He always had a friendly smile. I blushed to think of him seeing me like this, but it was all in good fun. And anyway, I told myself, this is Paris. Monsieur Dumont, Monsieur Le Marquis. Okay, girls. <clears throat> the curtain going up in five minutes. Places! The madam in charge of the teller girls was severe. She opened a door from the dressing room into the teller stations. We filed in. The windows were covered with blinds. I stepped into my teller booth and found, to my surprise, that certain adjustments had been made. The small table surface with the cupped bowls under the grill for money exchange, had now been raised. And when I stepped up to it, I found that it was perfectly level with my breasts. My breasts, in fact, fit right into the cupped bowls. Everyone in place? Clong! A metal bar pushed against my back and locked into place. I realized that I was entirely confined. My breasts were pressed up tightly against the grill. Good luck, girls, and don't forget to smile. The blinds went up. I could hardly breathe. The lobby was revealed. Hundreds of men, of gentlemen in black tie, were being served champagne by cocktail waitresses in the scantiest attire. At the fountain in the center, women wearing harnesses and G-strings with long horse tails attached to the back were tied by rhinestone leashes to a brass bar. I recognized a roar. I watched as a man passed his Believe card to an attendant who processed it and handed it back to him along with Aurora's leash. She went off with him. What's going on? What is this? I gasped. That's the pony bar, my neighbor hissed to me. That's where we get to go up if we move up from here. What are we supposed to, to do? We're just the tit bar. Pull out your tits. We get credits for being fondled. Watch the clock. Then for the first time, I noticed the digital timekeeper at eye level just to the right of my booth. It was on, lit up. The clock said zero, zero. The teller girls were calling out clients' names. Men were lining up at their windows. The timekeepers over those windows jumped into act action. The seconds started flashing by. You better get to work. They'll be going into the banquet hall soon. Call out to someone you know. A man stepped up to my booth and began fondling my breasts. My meter jumped into action. The seconds started to fly. I was smiling crazily while he twisted and pinched my breasts. He left. Others came. They came and left. My nipples were ringing. The crazy smile chained in my face. The seconds fly, freeze, fly again, freeze as clients came and departed. A bell rang. How long had it been? Minutes only? Hours? Doors opened into the banquet hall, and all the men moved off in that direction, pony girls in tow. The lobby emptied. 
clong, the iron bars that were pressing onto our backs were released. What now? I hissed to my, to my neighbor. Intermission, we get to take a break. First time, someone asked, chin up, don't cry, you'll only ruin your mascara. You did all right for the first round, but you didn't rack up a lot of time. You'll have to try to make it up in the second round. I hear Monsieur Richard takes a personal interest in you. Watch out for his assistant. He does the warm-up. Monsieur Richard only does the testing. Testing for what? Libertine's fourth discourse. Ah, the properties of crime are unique. Nothing else has such an exciting effect upon me. Compared to it, love is so drab, so puny. Oh, indeed, my dear friend, I have reached the point where, if I am to be stirred even in the lightest, in slightest, a crime must be of uncommon strength. Juliet, quite so. The most enjoyable crimes are the ones without motives. The victim must be perfectly innocent. It is the downtrodden, the unlucky, the helpless, the ones who should, whenever possible, be made the targets of one's wickedness. The tears you wring from indigence have a pungency which very potently stimulate the nervous humors. Durand, why, tis a happy coincidence, for the splendid little scheme I have lately had in mind is perfectly in the spirit of your suggestion. Juliet, shall we be whores? Let us, my dearest, let's go a whoring. Let's sell ourselves. Let's get ourselves to a gutter and open grinning cunts to whole passing nations. Our cunts, our mouths, our assholes, let's open all our holes to every filthy stopper. Juliet, ah, fuck my eyes, girl, my head is beginning to reel. Like the fiery charger, I thrust heaving flank to meet gashing spur. I am flying to my undoing, I know it. I know it well, it is inevitable, and I do not care. Durand, my angel, of all the sensations in the world, I do not want there to be one you have not tasted. With such a brain as yours, you would be grief-stricken to find that some sort of pleasure exists which you had not procured for yourself. Durand, uh, Durand, I would not for the world let those sluts reap the fruit of my labors. Certainly not. I never do anything save it be for my personal advantage. And if the things I do are done well, that, my friends, is the reason why. Check it, go. Can you stand it? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Might as well. Got this far, right? (laughs) Okay. Loretta of Paris 4. Places, girls, places, second round, the madam's piercing voice. As I brushed by the madam on my way back into the booth, she hissed into my ear, panties off. Believe. In the teller booths, girls were stepping out of their panties, being helped by assistants up onto tables and wheeled up to the teller windows. I, too, was stepping out of my panties and lying down on a slab. I was wheeled up to my window. I was opening my legs. Oh, my God, no, no, I heard myself saying as I spread my legs open like the other girls and my ankles were snapped into cuffs attached to the bars of the teller window. My ass now fitted comfortably into the curved bowls where my breasts had sat. My sex was pressed up against the teller grill opening where the money transactions took place. The banquet hall doors opened. Men streamed out in a raucous cloud of alcohol and smoke. My God, what what are are we supposed to do? 
supposed to be? We're the cunt counter, you idiot. Now, if you know what's good for you, get to work. Now the teller girls began calling in earnest. Monsieur Dumont, Monsieur le Général, Monsieur le Directeur, chic, chic, Monsieur Debris, Monsieur le Ministre, Marquis, Marquis. The men went at the open meat through the open windows of exchange. Open pussy was gouged, tickled, vexed, and tortured. Slumping pricks, pricks exhausted from previous labors, perked up and got hard again, and already hard ones got harder. Screams, screams, digital seconds speeding past. A fat, perspiring man came up to my window. He took great mirth and satisfaction at seeing me writhe on his finger. My meter flew into action. In the lobby now, wild fucking had broken out. Pony girls sucking off men or getting fucked in the ass butt, and the champagne waitresses were serving their cunts. That's when I noticed the cameras, surveillance cameras everywhere and screens beside them showing footage of different girls. I saw my name come up on a hundred screens, Loretta. I saw myself in Gdansk going down an alley next to the Lenin shipyard and a blurred shot giving a blowjob to a dock worker. I saw myself in a roar making love in my bed. Believe flashed over my teller window. A man came up to me and said, yeah, girl, I'm going to get you good. Give it up to me. Come on, give it up. He stuck a thick finger in his mouth, looking me in the eye through the bars. Come on, girl. Monsieur Richard is paying for it. He made me come. As soon as he put his finger in me, I started coming. Oh, yes, yes. Scream, baby, scream, he whispered hoarsely. Peering in at me, his lips were dry and cracked, and he licked them. Scream his name. That's what he's waiting to hear. Monsieur Richard, I heard a strained voice scream. Louder, bitch, louder. Monsieur Richard. Okay, Monsieur Richard, I think she's ready. Come feel this. I heard him call over his shoulder. Monsieur Richard's face appeared in my field of vision at my window. He smiled, the same friendly smile, as he inserted his finger into my hole. I began trembling in a frenzy. Yes, she'll do nicely. Good girl, was all he said. He withdrew his finger. Carry on, Drew, he said, and disappeared into the crowd. Go on now, you whore. He's paying for it. Give him his money's worth. Dance, baby, dance. And I went on dancing on the end of his fingers, screaming, writhing, groaning, until the bell rang again. And as, and, as if on cue, the lights went out. Libertine's final discourse. Citizens, a little more effort if you want to be Republicans. Juliet, ladies, cover your cunts. It is of women's freedom that I am speaking. The faculty of comparing different manners of acting and of deciding which appears best to us, this is what is called freedom. Now, does woman have, or does she not have, this faculty of decision? I am prepared to state that she does not, and could not possibly have it. Durand. Pray to conflicting motives we waver, but in the decision, in, in the moment when a decision is taken, it is not we who determine it. It is enjoined upon us. It is necessitated by the various dispositions of our organs. They always dictate the direction. We always follow their guidance. The choice between this or that alternative is never exercised by us. The libertines begin their exit, but hesitate and turn one last time to the public. Durand, out of what reasons do you hate despotism? Juliet, out of envy and pride of hurt by being ruled, governed, and out of the desire to rule myself. Durand, does the happiness of the people play a role in your opinions? Juliet, no. Only my own happiness. Durand. 
What role plays passion in your politics? Juliet, the first one. Because I believe every stateswoman has to arrange her plans, suggestions, guarantees, yes, even her laws, so that they serve her own happiness. <laughs> All that which the stupid populace believes should serve her happiness and enrich her and her vanity, her appearance, her popularity. Jerome, if you're in a position of power, do you only listen to your own voice of desire? Juliet, certainly. That is my only God. Durand, and what do you think of religion? Juliet, the tyrant always has to use it. The torch of superstition is the dawn of tyranny. And with a Holy Spirit, one steers the people best. So you suggest using it? Juliet, certainly. Let God speak for you and the people will follow. Convince them that all the misfortune they have to suffer under this government has its roots in the lack of religion. So as you throw them in front of the feet of the chimera that you give them to worship, they will serve your pride and your passions. Durand, so... You don't believe in God? Juliet. <laughs> what reasonable human being could believe in that? That's Act One. That's the first play. Time here. Okay. Well, um, your, your great eyes, I know it's kind of warm and you're listening, but I'd like to give you just a little bit of a taste of the other two plays because they're each very, very different. Mm. But I won't read the whole thing. Um, you know what? Can I get a little more water here? second play is called La Gente, or The People. And it has a completely different mise-en-scene, as we say in theaters, talk. So the first play, if you remember, was a libertine salon, and the audience is sort of cast in the role of guests to this libertine salon. And these entertainments are presented for the audience's uh, edification. In the second play, however, it's called La Gente, or The People. We created it in Napoli, in Italy. So um, La Gente is Italian, the people. And we work with a chorus of 30 young Neapolitan actors. And, um, and it was a piece for a chorus. So um, the story of Loretta continues in the second play. But in this uh, play, first of all, this, her story of her rape and, and being forced into prostitution is told again, but in the, in the, in the context of her own community. And so her community tell, helps her tell the story and remembers the story and laments the story. It's not told in a pornographic context. It's told in more of a, you know, a realistic context. And, um, and of course, we, we realized that when we got to Napoli, it was, it, no, it was no longer Loretta of Gdansk, it was Loretta of Napoli, because it was the same story there. The, you know, there were times of hope of great change in, 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 you know, in, in, in movements of the people and that were then again dashed, of course, and, and certainly in Napoli, just about in every city of the world, there's a Loretta. So it became Loretta of Napoli. Um, and, um, however, in this play... Um, Loretta also crosses over and basically she, she goes from being um, uh, uh, you know, a victim like uh, Marquis de Sade's Justine she decides to become a Juliet to um, get something out of it for herself pleasure and profit so she crosses over and she becomes and she rises up in her profession 
and she becomes a world-class escort to, um, um, with clients in the highest echelons of international finance um, and the trade in drugs, arms, and human trafficking, which are the three biggest, uh, shall we say, businesses in the world. And she travels around the world as an escort to these kind of people. And uh, in this play, she arrives in Moscow on the day to, there's going to be the opening of a big consume palace, like a big uh, mall, you know, but a huge, like a Trumpian, <laughs> a big Trumpian hotel or whatever. And um, she arrives as an escort to a, a, an important general. Um, there's going to be a big gala event in this building. But it's the same day that the Russian ruble crashes. So the people um, are finding out that their money is worthless. And uh, as she arrives to accompany this general up into the VIP lounge at the top of the tower uh, for this event. Um, but I'd just like to read a couple of the choruses. Um, it's very different. So this is uh, the people. I want, I have, I don't have, I don't want. Have nothing, want nothing, need nothing, I have. Need nothing, have nothing, want nothing. I need, want nothing, have nothing, Need nothing. I want. Um, uh, this is a speech from the play. Also, I just uh, in the course of the the chorus, different figures emerge and speak. So, this is the new man who speaks. The new man between the poles of the state and the market. A new man has exploded onto the screen of history. A new man whose desires rule the world. His desires, the impulses that flood our markets, are our sole preoccupation. This new man, this consumer, is autonomous. He is free. He has broken the bonds of nationalism, religion, ideology. He owes his loyalty to no state. He laughs at the ideologies of the past. No religion exercises its shabby superstitions over him. Culture is a thing with which he decorates his house. Who is this man? He is the citizen at ease, the politically correct, the satisfied consumer. Through the telesector of the info spectacle, which is delivered to him 24-7 at home, at work, and in his leisure time, man learns the nature of his desires. He learns that he is weak, but that he need not be so. The power of the market to deliver all he requires is an incentive to him. And in return, the market reciprocates in proportion to the degree of his initiative. It's very simple, really. This new man, our consumer, is a man who must be satisfied. And the market forces are prepared to do just that. The chorus. I love, I want love, I need love, I have love. I'm in love. I am loved. I love everyone. Everyone loves me. No one loves me. I love no one. I lost my love. I haven't made love in years. I love the world. The world doesn't love me. I want love. I need love. I make love. I love. And I'll read you one more. I work. I work. 
I can work. I need work. I want work. Can you give me some work? Can you find me some work? I'm looking for work. There's no work. I work all the time. I work overtime. I can't, I can't work anymore. I won't work anymore. I don't have any work. I can't find any work. I can't work. I won't work. I need work. I want work. I'll work. I work. I pay. I can pay. I can't pay. I won't pay. I won't pay for it. I won't pay for it anymore. I did pay. I already paid. I got paid. I didn't get paid. I haven't been paid in years. I paid last week. I paid last month. I paid last year. I paid too much. I refuse to pay. I never pay. I can't pay. <coughs> I can't pay for it. I can't pay for it anymore. You'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. You'll pay. I'll pay. I pay. <coughs> money! I have money. I have enough money. I have plenty of money. I have loads of money. I have tons of money. I have money. I don't have enough money. I never have enough money. I never had any money. I have no money. I need more money. I want money. I need money! Another chorus. Lost, lost my job, lost my home, my wife, my man, my children. My wife is sick, my man is gone. My wife is gone, my man is sick, my children are hungry. Lost, my mind, abandoned, lost. Okay, and to close, I'd just like to read you <coughs> um, the first part of the third play. And there were, if you read the book, there's two different versions of the third play were made, but um, this is the one we staged in New York, one was staged in Napoli. And the Loretta's story continues in the third play. And in this third part, which is called The Whore in Exile, uh, Loretta and Aurora, who we've already met, <clears throat> are at the height of their careers as world-class madams, but they have taken their money and run. And they are seeking exile. They, they try to find exile in Malibu, California. So, so they have like sort of a safe house in Malibu where they lock themselves in and just um, go through a kind of a madness of remembering all the things they've been through. Um, but um, there is um, another character in the in the third part. Uh, who is called Bocamunda. Bocamunda is um, a force of nature, <clears throat> and she has the first word of the third play. <clears throat> and so scene one is uh, Deus ex machina, although it's really, she's not leaving, she's actually arriving. Bocamunda. your slut, your whore, your angel, your angel of death, your sorrow. 
I am your rage, the nightly news, the daily death toll by car bomb and starvation. Your epidemics, your worst nightmare, the stock market crash, your biggest orgasm, your science fiction movie, your dream of fucking the stars. I am your herald, your vision, your oracle, bringer of peace and disorder into the world. Peace and disorder. Your inner peace is false. It is only a piece of paper, a contract, 10 million shares on the stock exchange. I enter your world through the crack of light in your darkness. I am the darkness and the light. Tunnel entrance into the world. I am Bokamunda. The gaping hole fringed with fur. The open meat, the bulging tits with nipples erect. The cunt, throat, ass, hole. I am the hole, the holy hole. The whole of the holy whore. Hear me and listen. Humankind is called, called upon. Humankind is summoned. Who dares to live in the white heat of Thanks for listening. For more ARC audio content, check out arcbooks.dk and why not drop by the store on Mulligan.